Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Hello, welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast. My name is Angela Gennari, and today we are here with Limor Bergman-Gross. How are you, Limor? I'm good. How are you, Angela? I am doing very well. And where you are in Israel? Yeah, that's correct. Beautiful. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm going to introduce Limor because she has a really interesting background too. So Limor Bergman-Gross is a former director of engineering at DigitalOcean with 20 years of experience in the tech industry. She is now an executive coach for women in tech leadership that wants to achieve more through results-oriented coaching processes. Women work, she works with, say, Limor enabled them to continuously tear down ceilings by challenging them to think bigger. They also say she opened their eyes to a new way of contributing to their careers. Limor loves talking about career progression in the tech industry. So, and um, how to build your brand in, in the company and externally. So, um, this is exciting because we don't have many people in the tech industry on the show. And I would just love that you are. Uh, not just, you know, you have a great background in tech, but also you are now coaching women as well. So let's talk a little bit about that. What made you want to get into tech? Uh, being practical, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> fancy or romantic. I mean, I was uh, uh, always good at STEM. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was my strong suit, math physics, chemistry, it came kind of easy to me. Mm. Uh, relative to, uh, you know, at high school, I wasn't really that much fascinated with language arts and more humane related fields. And I said, okay, what can I do in life? Right. And I'm a very practical person. So I said, okay, computer science makes sense. Yeah. yeah. It fits my skills and you can make good money. So that's what I decided to do. Okay. And then you were a director of engineering. Is it rare to have women in that role? Because I know here you may not see as many women in technology and engineering. So in Israel, is that unusual? Uh, I say it's not unusual, but we don't see many women at leadership roles. And the more you get up the ladder, you see fewer and fewer women at the top mm -hmm. in Israel, in the U.S., yes. worldwide. There are a lot of uh, reports about it. Uh, so definitely we see less. And and throughout my career, I was always almost the only woman in the room. Yeah. And I was used to work predominantly with men. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So as a director of engineering, did that, did that, being a woman in that role, did that help or hurt you? Do you believe um, when, when you're dealing with, you know, the only woman in the room, do you think we have set it up to be a detriment or an attribute or an asset to, I think it's uh, both. So on one side, uh, I was, I, 
it wasn't easy for me to get there. I had to fight in order mm-hmm. to get to to where I got. And there were a lot of biases, you know, along the way. Again, right. not not necessarily, I'm not saying that people are mean, but right. but we have a lot of biases, all of us. And and women have biases against them, you know, when it comes to tech and when it comes to getting to leadership roles. On the other hand, I brought a different perspective. I brought yes. a lot of emotional intelligence, a lot of communication skills mm. that were lacking, a very mature and ego kind of ego-less attitude uh-huh. that appreciated. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree in all leadership roles. I think that we bring a lot to the table and just in terms of our ability to be empathetic and our ability to have open communication and uh, transparency and authenticity. I think that's what we bring to the table most. Yes, absolutely. So- So now you're helping women to build their own brand and to develop their own career path. So what do you think we can uh, do to help women kind of, especially in STEM? um, What, what, what can we be teaching? How can we be guiding our, our daughters and the, the younger generations coming into the workforce? I think it, uh, first showing them role models that yes there are women that are very successful mm-hmm. um, and opening their minds to possibilities to what is attainable for them basically everything that they wish mm-hmm. and opening their their minds and and uh, helping them see think think differently like for example i i uh, bought my uh, daughter the book grit Oh, by yeah. Angela Duckworth. So those are kind of the things that that we need to help our daughters. By mm-hmm. the way, also our sons, and mm-hmm. uh, to mm-hmm. see that basically it's so much depends on them, not just about their strength and their skills and how well they do in school. It's their mindset. It's their attitude to failure, and mm-hmm. how resilient they are, and how much they are willing to do the work. And let them fail a little bit. Yeah. This is very important. You know, I had this week two women that I have coached. They told me they never failed and they never got no as an answer. Wow. And on one hand, you would say, wow, that's great, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's not. And I told them, well, I think you need to experience that because that's part of life. Yeah, it really is. And it teaches you, it builds character, you know, it builds character, it builds resilience, it builds a lot that you're going to use later on in life when you do hit challenges, you're going to want to have those skills. Definitely. Yeah. So we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion. So how can companies build a more inclusive culture? That's a great question. I think, first of all, it started at the top. Mm -hmm. They need to make an intentional effort to have mm. a diverse C-suite. And diverse, it's not by ge- just gender diversity. It's race. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, all, it goes all the way. Uh, not just the white man club. Yeah. So show that you mean it and start being intentional about having diverse C-suite. And then it trickles down from that, that on, just making a deliberate effort not just saying, not just by words, by actions, take actions, show that you care, build empathy towards everything in the company, 
how you lead, how you communicate, how you treat people. So many people say that they're building a, you know, DEI, you know, and, and program in their company. And for some reason, it just doesn't really translate into anything more than maybe a, a you know, one or two individuals, but they're not really looking at what diversity means and how to incorporate that into their culture, because it's not just about checking a box and putting a position, you know, person in a position. It's about allowing their voice and how they impact the organization to to really show through in terms of, you know, what they bring to the table. Because one thing that I will tell you is in all of my work with um, DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, it really does make a difference when the voices are actually heard and they're not just given a certain set of protocols to follow that may be outside of their own norm. Yeah. And it's about, you know, not being, um, uh, not accepting microaggressions and Mm -hmm. inappropriate behavior, even if it's done unintentionally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had, I cannot tell you how many times that people didn't speak up nicely to me, that maybe they, uh, they said something sarcastic mm-hmm. in meetings. Um, and luckily I have enough self-confidence that I knew how to deal with it. Right. But if you tolerate this kind of behavior, you're basically saying I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, so as you're coaching women, um, what skills do you feel like are most essential in the workplace uh, as they're going into, whether it's STEM or just leadership positions, what, what traits do you try to bring out in them or do you feel are most important? I think confidence, Mm -hmm. confidence and self-love and appreciation. That's the basic. Yeah. Yeah. From that, it all begins. You have to believe in yourself and love yourself and and feel you deserve. You deserve more. Mm, yeah, that's true. Because we, we do tend to undersell ourselves and then we will... Uh, we won't ask for everything that we need. We'll ask or everything that we want. We'll ask for just the bare minimum of what we need. So, and, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll look at, well, I need x amount of dollars in salary or i need you know this much time off and you'll focus on just those those things that you have to have and you're not looking at the bigger picture of what what is fair and equitable in that role yeah and i think the next step once you build some confidence and 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 you want to achieve more it's about opening your mindset to possibilities Mm -hmm. because a lot of times we look at things only one way. We are very fixed in our mindset of mm-hmm. what is attainable for us. Oh, I'm not a manager yet, so I cannot take initiatives. I cannot speak. I cannot do X, Y, Z. And when I allow those women in their mind to see other possibilities, to see what they can do, then they start take action mm-hmm. and they show up dramatically differently as leaders. Yeah. So is that your recommendation on getting a promotion? Like if somebody is looking to get a promotion at work, um, what would you suggest that they do? What, what steps should they take? Yeah. So my opinion about promotion, you are promoted when you 
already, when you already um, basically execute at the next level. Mm-hmm. So it will be natural to ask and get a promotion when your manager and other stakeholders already see you capable. They get a confidence that you can operate at the next level, which mm-hmm. means that you need to start with the mindset, as I mentioned, to think as yourself as I am already there. And mm-hmm. what would my, me at that position do? And I know it's kind of, you know, sometimes it sounds weird, like, okay, but I'm not there, right? I don't have mm-hmm. the title, but there's so much you can do without the title. One That's of my, right. One of the books I love and I always keep recommending is Robin Sharma, The Leader Who Had No Title. Oh, it is an incredible book, incredible book. And it opens up your mind to possibilities, What, no matter what your role is. It doesn't matter. You can be an intern mm-hmm. and take initiative. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, that that is, um, I'm a big believer in reading a lot of books. I read a lot of books and just try to keep myself on top of my game. And I think if if you're not out there improving yourself on a constant basis, you're going to really struggle with moving up the corporate ladder or, you know, growing personally and professionally. And I think that just the more you are taking in that is positive, uplifting, um, there, there's just so much value to that. And when you were talking about doing things outside of your role, that is at the next level. Uh, one of my other podcast guests had talked about work in the position that you want, not the position you have. So, you know, if you are uh, middle management and you want to get to executive leadership, start taking on roles that involve or or start doing tasks and initiatives that involve the vision and the growth of the company, not just managing tasks. Absolutely. Take initiatives. Leadership is always needed and always yes. welcomed. Yes. When you solve problems no one else is solving, when you're willing to roll your sleeves and do the work, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you will be appreciated. Obviously, you need also to that people will know what you're doing, not just do it quietly, but mm-hmm. but initiatives will always be appreciated. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I think that there's so many people that will focus on the problems, and those are the people who are generally not going to be promoted. If 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 you're coming to leadership with with problem after problem after problem and complaints, and you know there there's always something that's going wrong you're you're going to start the the leader's going to start shutting you out but if you're coming with solutions and 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 you're you're looking to problem solve like i don't even care if it's not the right solution it just tells me that you're thinking through it right and so thinking through it is way better than just you know acknowledging that there's an issue if you're acknowledging an issue and then saying but i have a solution even if the solution is not going to work, at least it's a solution. At least it's something yeah. besides a complaint. And uh, yeah, I, I tend to, um, you tend to become dismissive as a leader of people who are just complaining because you just look at them as they're just complainers, right? Like you start attributing the complaints to their character or their personality or just who they are. And if you look at somebody who's a problem solver, that person who is who gets noticed. The person who is out there coming up with solutions and, and pushing initiatives and saying, I think we can make this better. Those are the ones who get noticed by leadership. Absolutely. So 
So you talk a little bit about remote work and um, in, in, in what you do. So how can we motivate remote teams? Because as so many teams are now hybrid or remote, like I think coming out of the pandemic, we're not, we're not a hundred percent remote anymore. It's, it's a lot of people have, have kind of gone into a hybrid structure. So how can you motivate and encourage those teams who are in a remote environment to also engage with those who are in a hybrid environment? Yeah, I think it goes about communication mm-hmm. and how you adjust your communication style. I think the most challenging thing is when you work remote with people you never had a chance to meet before in person. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you don't have the opportunity to create connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And think about it. When you go in an office, you have plenty of opportunities to go for coffee, to yeah. chat in the corridors, to go for lunch, you know. And when you are remote, it's just work, 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 right? It's very mm-hmm. like, okay, now we have a meeting. You need to create those opportunities. Sometimes it seems a little bit artificial. Right, right. But to connect, maybe it's a virtual kind of a, a team building activity or happy hour. Mm-hmm. And so you can actually start getting to know people as people, not yeah. as employees who do the work right right not just somebody who's on the other end of a screen because that that does make it challenging to connect but if you can just dive in a little bit more and have those same talks that you would have in the office um at least in a remote environment that definitely opens the door a little bit more yeah and if you have the ability to spend the money to Mm -hmm. To actually bring people together for an offsite, I used to do that. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you focus on connection building, not about day-to-day work. My mm-hmm. one of my managers always told me, like, when you go to meet your team, I don't expect you to do any work. And mm-hmm. it kind of feels weird, right? I mean, your employer mm-hmm. pays for you and your team to travel. How come they don't expect you to do work? What he meant by that was like, you're not supposed to do your day-to-day job. You're supposed to focus on building connections, to talk about strategy, to focus on things that are not the tactical day-to-day job. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. So if you have a remote team, um, you know, what are, what are some strategies that people can use to better communicate outside of an, you know, outside of just like doing an offsite? What are other ways that they can communicate and be effective? A great way, for example, would be to uh, work together on a side project. It can mm. be hackathon or oh, something out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, DigitalOcean, I don't know if they still do it, but used to, to do several hackathons a year, company-wide, and people will just join different groups. I mean, people will come mm-hmm. with ideas, and, and people, it wasn't just for people who wrote code. It, it could be any a, anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really connected people. Interesting. Yeah, that sounds like a fun project. So for the audience members who don't know what it is, can you explain what a hackathon is? Hackathon is just you, just... Innovator usually it's it's related to innovation. Mm-hmm. You try to to do something, to innovate, to to bring a novel idea and implement something quickly to see you know if if you can create something new. 
Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that because I think that actually works in every category, technology, um, even, even service-based businesses, there's always a way that you can improve. And so if there's, you know, ideas that are coming, that are people are generating, you just never know where those best ideas are going to come from. So I love the hackathon idea. So when people are building a personal brand, so I think that everybody should have their personal brand in addition to their company brand, because I think your personal brand tells people who you are, what you stand for, and kind of what to expect from you. So what are some suggestions you would give to people when they're building their own personal brand? Yeah, first of all, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. So yeah. uh, in my world, LinkedIn is the place to be. And mm-hmm. you may be surprised, but some engineers who worked with me, you know, in my team didn't have a LinkedIn profile. Really? And I told them, you know what? If you don't have a profile, it's like you don't exist. Yeah, yeah, really. Mm-hmm. So be present. Social media is not just like watching how people, I don't know, play with their pets or or do stupid things, but it's also about building a brand. And depending on who you are, what business you're at, it may be different. LinkedIn may or may not be the right place for you. Maybe it's Instagram, TikTok, or, or something else. But build your brand on social media. Think about, if I'm talking about LinkedIn, for example, I always say to women I work, you know, that work with me, mm-hmm. if someone lands on your profile, in six seconds, they need to know who you are and right. what value can you bring them? Because yeah. people don't spend a lot of time. Mm-mm. No, I agree. I I love LinkedIn for that because I think that, um, you know, the more value you can give to other people, the more they see you as somebody that is a resource for them. And that's how you want to set yourself up as, as a constant resource, you know, and again, going back to the the Facebook and, and every, you know, when you're looking at Facebook, you see a lot of people who are on there complaining and venting and showing what they had for dinner. And to me, that's just kind of garbage social media. But when you have people who are out there coming up with solutions and providing value and, and, you know, just going back to the whole, you know, are you a problem solver? Or are you a problem creator? Right. And yeah. so nobody wants to be around a problem creator. They want to be around problem solvers so that, you know, you can have the right energy into your life. And so if you're on LinkedIn and you are putting out insightful articles or you're sharing really helpful information or you're providing tips and tricks for people to, you know, manage their own career and personal life, I think that there's a lot of value in that. Absolutely. So, so when you're on LinkedIn, what do you look for in connecting? Do you connect with anybody or do you connect strategically? How do you connect with people? To be honest, I mean, uh, I I connect. If people reach out to me, mm-hmm. I, I usually connect with them, uh, and I usually look to. F- I, I start with following, actually, not connecting directly. Okay. I start following people that are posting content that is relevant for me. Mm-hmm. One of the things is generative AI. I follow a lot of uh, leaders in that space because I'm using. AI myself, ChatGPT, among others, other tools. So I like to follow people who are innovative in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be other people that are posting articles 
or videos or whatever mm-hmm. on, on topics that are that I'm passionate about about leadership about women in tech and, and after I follow people I may send them a connection request mm-hmm. so do you do you find that so for me I'm more particular about connecting so do you find that when you when you follow people you get a better idea of who they are and what they stand for versus um you know setting out a cold connection because if i don't know someone personally and it's somebody that i want to connect with i do feel like i need to write them something you know in the message i don't want to send it cold do you typically introduce yourself or write a message to somebody or do you cold connect i always first of all if i am sending a connection request i'm always sending a personalized message always I think the best strategy if you want to connect with people who don't know you is to follow them first, assuming Mm -hmm. they are somewhat active on LinkedIn, right? I mean, if they're not doing anything, it will be more difficult. Mm -hmm. Commenting and and connecting with them like on their content. So they start having you in their mindset as someone who appreciates what they're doing, bringing, adding maybe different perspectives to posts that they're they are making. And then you can send them a connection request with a message. Hey, I follow you. I love your content. I would love to connect. Maybe after they accept your connection, you can offer to meet yeah. for 10 or 15 minutes. But do that without any kind of agenda. Yes. The thing I hate the most those are people that I will just block. Yeah. The ones that connect with me and immediately try to sell me something. Oh my gosh. You, I, I agree. I can't stand that. That is one of my pet peeves. And a few times I've responded to them and I've said, do you think this is effective? Like a few times it has just really gotten under my skin because, you know, they've sent me a connection request and then immediately I get a, uh, like an email that you can tell was already pre-written. It's not custom to me. They've done no research. They've not looked at my LinkedIn. They have no idea what I do. And they've sent me this generic form letter of a sales pitch immediately upon connecting. And it is one of my biggest pet peeves. Like if you're not going to take the time and effort to get to know me and how you might actually add value, please don't send me a generic message that just says, hey, we'd love to sit down for 15 minutes and but but these are the ones that I can tell they've done no research on me. Like this is their lazy way of saying, um, you know, I want I want to sell you something, but I'm going to pretend to be interested in you. Like I love your approach because your approach says, hey, I'm genuinely interested in your content. This resonates for me and I find value in it like that to me would speak volumes versus the the standard letter that I get that you can tell they they have no idea who I am and what I do and what value they might actually add. Like they, they've not, you know, done any research whatsoever. So I think your strategy is, is right on. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm, um, but yeah, I I'm a big fan of LinkedIn, but I'm careful about who I connect with for that reason, you know, and also people see, Oh, CEO of a company, I'm a good sales target. So I try, <laughs> I try to avoid that. So I connect with very few people on LinkedIn that I don't know, unless, um, unless they're, I feel like they're adding value or they're doing something that's relevant. So, so 
you are an introvert. Um, you had mentioned in a, in a bio that I read that you are an introvert. Is that right? That's true. I see myself, I mean, probably it's not like black and, and white, mm-hmm. but I would say if you had a scale, mm-hmm. uh, introvert is on one side, extrovert, I am probably more towards the introvert side. Okay. Yeah. So how do you feel about networking as an introvert? What What tips can you give to other introverts when it comes to networking? Yeah, it's hard. You know, yeah. I always dreaded to go to large conferences and I used to go, you know, mm. and, and I, I was at a conference just like uh, a month ago. So I, I always dreaded, like you, you get to a full, a room full of people, you don't know anyone and how do you mm. make the initial connection? First of all, it's a muscle to be trained and I force myself to train that muscle. So yeah. I intentionally go, I can go intentionally to a room and said, okay, I'm training that muscle right now, the same as I'm going to the gym, right? Sometimes it's hard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I have to do it. But right. the, the good thing is that there are also opportunities to connect virtually that are less intimidating for introverts. During COVID, I started using a, a platform called Lunch Club. Oh, interesting. Okay. And Lunch Club? Club, Lunch Club is a, a platform for connecting people. Think about it like speed dating, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. for business purposes, right? I mean, people okay. create a profile there. They have like AI technology that matches people based on interest and background. You, you create your profile and you say kind of what kind of people you're interested to meet. And they suggest people to you, depending on the frequency that you'd like to meet people, let's say once a week or every other week. And then you just meet someone for 45 minutes, one-on-one virtually. Hmm can be anywhere in the world or if you want you can set a specific location that you want to meet people only in that location and that's it interesting yeah i like that so this is um so you you talk about using ai and and how how are you incorporating ai into your business because that's been such a huge topic lately so first of all I use ChatGPT for a lot of things, mm-hmm. mostly for idea generation. Mm. Think about it. If I'm running a workshop, a lot of times it's like having a colleague that you can brainstorm ideas. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I also use Grammarly for several years, like at least four years now. Basically, everything I write go through Grammarly. I have the pro version and they have now Grammarly Go that actually suggests rephrasing paragraphs. Oh, yeah. And for someone who is uh, not a native English speaker like me, I, I consider myself pretty good at English, but yeah. still, it's not my native language. So Grammarly is a lifesaver. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So Grammarly and ChatGPT. Yeah. There are other tools. I mean, uh, I, I also use, uh, like for my podcast, I use Clean Voice AI to clean the audio. It automatically cleans the audio. Um, I use Midjourney, not frequently, but I use it, for example, to create a cover photo for my podcast. Mm-hmm. And I use uh, another tool called Fathom uh, that is free for people who use the Zoom uh, paid account. It automatically transcribes uh, meetings for you, and I use it for my podcast as well. So every episode that I record, I add Fathom. Think about it as you add a participate. It records your session, and then you can extract the full transcript of the call. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. 
I've not used any of those tools. Those sound really interesting. Uh, Chat GPT, I've been interested to try to figure out, but it just seems a little daunting to me still. So I have not gone down that path, but I think it could be a really good tool. I cannot live without it. Yeah. So I warn you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you are the tech person and I am, I still struggle a little bit with technology. And so maybe I'll take baby steps into it. But I think the, the idea generation is something that could be really useful. Yeah. So, so tell me who inspires you? Mostly people Mm -hmm. who succeeded with nothing to begin with. Yes. Yeah. Self-made. Uh, one of my role models is actually not a, a woman. He's a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sir Richard Branson. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The reason I admire him so much, not just because he's so successful, created the Virgin Group and so many companies, because he's so nice. Is he? I actually, <laughs> I actually saw him in in person, not like one-on-one, but I saw him in, in, in a conference. Mm-hmm. He came on stage. He's so nice. Is he really? That's Yeah, amazing. despite his success, he's approachable. If you look, if you Google him, you'll see he's making funny things, right? He's he's not afraid of making fun of himself. He dresses yeah. up as women. Like yeah. he did crazy stuff. I love it. Yeah, yeah. He I he really... believes in having fun with life for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So he he didn't lose the humility and the connection to mm-hmm. everyone no matter who they are. Uh, and that's what I I so much look up to him. Mm-hmm. The thing that I don't like is people that success causes them to think that they are like gods. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few of those too. Yeah. Yeah, there have been, um, I I can become very critical of other CEOs and founders when they've let their ego take over what is best for the business. Because I think when you become a business owner, it's very similar to being a parent in that you have a duty to provide, you know, an atmosphere that is conducive to allowing all of your employees to thrive, right? And when you are a CEO and you become super greedy when it comes to, you know, you're taking yourself on these massive vacations and you're out there doing things that are jeopardizing the reputation of yourself and your company, I just think it's so much so irresponsible. And unfortunately, you see too many of these CEOs get rewarded with, you know, contracts and and additional money and bonuses and and it's it it's sickening but i think you know as a ceo you have an obligation to your to your employees as a parent has an obligation to their child to to do what's best for them yeah and that's why we need more women in leadership yes and in politics yes women in it's generalizing generalizing, Uh but women bring less ego we bring less ego and we think we think through how what we do impacts others. And I think that that is a female characteristic that I believe is is going to help in leadership so much because I find that so many other leaders, you know, um, they will think of what's best for me and women think of what's best for everyone. And, and so every time I hear people say, oh, let's do business like a man, I'm like, no, women are better innate leaders. (laughs) We just have to do business like a woman, but it's, it's better that we, you know, that we're able to thrive in that environment. So, um, but yeah, so, so that's, 
I agree that I love people who are self-made and who bring themselves up and, and do the right thing. So, so as women, we give our power away a lot. So we tend to give credit to other people or, or allow other people to criticize or take, take our power away. Um, we do that pretty frequently and we don't stand up for ourselves. Can you tell me about a time that you gave your power away and maybe another time that you stepped into your power? Yeah. So uh, I have four children mm-hmm. and after my first daughter was born, I was in a really tough position at work. So I was basically used mm. for my manager's own motivations and aspirations. And he put me uh, in a very tough spot, working with a very tough client, traveling every month from Israel to either US or, or you know, the East. And wow. when I have a baby at home, and he kind of forced me to do it. What, I mean, he didn't force me on the plane, but he he made it look like I don't have any choice. I have to do it. It wow. wasn't really my my job, like my usual job. It didn't bring, highlight my strength. And the manager above him also didn't support me. And I felt used. I felt confidently, you know, like worthless. Mm-hmm. And um, and it it really hurt my family. Mm-hmm. really hurt brought a toll on my family so that was a tough six month I'll tell you that and eventually I was able to get out of it but uh, it was really tough I, I actually considered to leave that job and eventually I decided to stay because I wanted to have another child and I decided that um, having another child was more important to me at that point than than leaving yeah and I applied to be a manager when I was eight months pregnant with my second child. Wow. And against all odds, I got a job. And that's how I started my management journey. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I love that you still had the confidence and you still knew you could do the job even eight months pregnant because so many people say, you know, women create their own issues. This is what I heard from a a male CEO recently, women create their own issues because, you know, they want to stay home with children and they, they, you know, they, they pull themselves out of management positions. I'm like, that's not true at all. (laughs) That's, that's not actually true. Uh, A lot of times what will happen is we'll be judged based on, you know, oh, well, they're eight months pregnant. They might not be able to do the job or they might decide to stay home when really we're, we're perfectly capable. Our mind works perfectly well. (laughs) And and we, we very well could be the very best person for the job. It's just a matter of somebody seeing past, you know, what uh, society deems are going to be things holding us back. Yeah, for sure. Actually, my husband was the one who pushed me to apply. Wow, that's uh, great. And uh, also, my uh, I had a sponsor. I mean, I had someone within the company who really advocated for me, which really helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yes, a, a lot of times we create our own picture in our head of what is attainable for us. Because I thought, oh, no one will take me, like mm. because I'm going to deliver a baby and and going mm-hmm. to be away for a few months. But you know, it did happen. Wow. That's amazing. I love it. So what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Yeah. I think I would give the advice to think about my passions and um, 
basically identify that I'm good at more than one thing because I thought that I'm only good at exact science and it's not true. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. other values and uh, I think I could have chosen a different profession. Yeah. That would fit me better, even better. Uh, so I think I would say to my 18 year old self, believe in yourself and try to uh, appreciate your strength and you have more than what you think. Mm-hmm. And what advice would you give to people who are looking for a STEM career, who are who are looking to um, get started in technology? First of all, don't be afraid. Uh-huh. Take take a step forward. Find mentors, find people who can help you and support you. Mm-hmm. And take baby steps and, and try it. See what you like, see what you don't like, but experiment, experiment with it. Because one of the things that are holding us back is fear. Mm-hmm. And technology can be frightening, right? For yeah. someone who... Well, it changes rapidly. And I think that's what um, what we don't really... We, we feel like we can't keep up with it, right? But being on the cutting edge of innovation is exciting. It's exciting and scary at the same time. That's so. true. It has a toll for sure. It has a toll because you have to be all the time up to date. And mm-hmm. uh, some people really enjoy it and some people less. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there's so much room for for people in STEM, no matter what your background is. I mean, in psychology, I have a psychology degree. Never in a million years would I have thought that psychology and, um, you know, having a de- degree in psychology would help with technology. But there is there's AI that, yeah. you know, you can actually, you know, having a psychology degree might actually be a huge benefit um, in teaching AI how to think and um or process and then the and then you have uh like there's online services for people to get therapy i mean there's just a, there's so many different things now that i could never foresee 20 years ago and so you know just just art and graphics and i mean if you are an artistic person you're a great candidate for technology you have that ability to see beyond you know what is what is in front of you Absolutely. My daughter is actually an artist and she study she started studying art. She's about to finish her first year. Yeah. In college, yeah. I encourage my kids to follow their strength and their passions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. And then one last question for you. Um, what do you wish more people knew? About me or in general? In general. I wish more people knew how much more capable they are Mm, yeah how much more strength they have Mm -hmm. that how many more things they can do yeah i agree yeah i think we don't give ourselves enough credit do we no we don't well thank you so much limor i've really enjoyed our conversation today it has been very enlightening and i have learned a lot so i just wanted to thank you for your time Thank you so much, Angela, for having me. Absolutely. So you can find Limor Bergman-Gross on our website at prettypowerfulpodcast.com. You can check out um, her LinkedIn and and any posts. And then um, how else can they find you, Limor? 
Usually I just direct people to LinkedIn because that's mm-hmm. how I, they can get to know me a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, I hope everyone has the most amazing day ever. And please check out our new episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com and everywhere podcasts are streamed. Thanks so much. Have an amazing day. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.